0: good morning I apologize for the fact that it's a little chilly in here we have uh, we had the heat going until about a little before nine o'clock and then apparently it went off and actually we heard felt some cold uh, air coming through we have since called our HVAC company as an emergency and we're waiting to hear back from them uh, it's probably not lost on me that uh, in the message today as we're going through the book of First Thessalonians that Paul does speak of suffering but I don't know that being cold in church rises to the level that Paul is referencing but I tell you what let's go with it for now and uh, and I'm kind of happy because it's gonna it's gonna keep you um, it's gonna keep you awake and that's a good thing that's a good thing for what we're talking about um, this morning as we continue in our study. But before we do that, um, we, uh, we sing together. We worship together. That's important. I remember for me, I used to just come and show up for the message because I was just all about wanting to learn the Bible. I kind of am a, am a linear thinker, and I just wanted to really understand uh, the Scripture. I thought singing was for the singers. But when I was challenged to worship God, that was a catapulting moment in my relationship with Christ when I really began to worship. And so I thank you for doing that. Another way that we worship is we give back to God. We, we put our money where our mouth is, and we put our, our, our faith uh, boots on the ground, and that is we give back that which we tend to hold on to. So um, I want to pray for our offering. Those of you that are visiting, well, this, it's, this is not for you, but those that call this place home, you can give electronically. You can give in the boxes in the back. But the idea is that we give in a way that acknowledges and recognizes what God gave us in Christ. So let me pray for the offering. God, thank you for all you've given us. Thank you for the test that it is. Is our faith in you or is it in our money? And Father, I pray that today you win, that we would give back to you in a way that would reflect our understanding of your sacrifice for us in Christ and that you would use these offerings to minister to people, to bring the hope, the truth, the life and love of Jesus to people that need it. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, surprisingly, uh, this is not going to be typical, but this is the second week of our starting with three services. We celebrated last week with uh, home-baked cookies, which were amazing. I kept hearing that. They were unbelievably good. Well, today we did something a little bit differently, and that is under three, possibly four seats, we have placed <clears throat> some uh, gift cards. So I'm going to ask you, look under your seat and see if you've got a gift card. We just want to kind of, you know, get we randomly spread them out. We only found two of them last service. So if you find one, please, like The Price is Right, get up and come running down. No, don't really do that. But did we find um, at least, okay, we got one here. Awesome. Renee, good job. Very nice. Do we have a second one yet? Anybody? Over here. Over here. Chris, is that, no? Ellie, all right. very. That's two. Do we have a third one? Um, okay, that means that. Well, okay, that means that after the service is over, feel free to run underneath the chairs that are empty at this point <laughs> and look for them, okay? That's, that's really important to us. But we are just so excited to be celebrating the fact that we're going to three services. And, and, the, and the empty seats that you do see, okay? Visible reminders, object lessons that we've got work to do. We've got seats to fill with people that love Jesus or need to learn how much Jesus loves them so they will love him back, Okay. Well, let me pray and ask for God's blessing as we jump into Thessalonians. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving and protecting it so that we could learn from it, learn who you are, learn who we are. I pray you would speak through me. I have nothing to say, but you have everything to say. May you speak through me in a way that is transformative, that brings great glory and honor to your name. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, I'm going to start this morning. I'm going to take you back in my lifetime Way back in the day, when we first moved here in 1999, uh, July 1999, it probably maybe wasn't too long after we moved here, that I came home for dinner. Uh, My daughters were young. Uh, The dinner table was set. Nancy had prepared the meal. And I come walking in and kind of like she knows when I come walking in, it's time to eat. And so we sat down at the table. And uh, I took my eyes for a moment off my plate onto my wife and I noticed that she had a new hairstyle. It was kind of this, uh, this um, really, <laughs> it's hard to explain, but um, <clears throat> she'll help me next service when she's here. But it was a perm, but it was a wet perm. She had all kind of, you know, the goo stuff in there. I, I don't know what it was, and it was tight. And I was sitting there, and, and, and the first thing I said to her was, I looked at her, I said, so we're going with the wet look? I know, I know, I know. That phrase lives in infamy in my family. <laughs> my daughters still to this day bring it up, Dad, is this the wet look? But when I said it, my daughters, even as young as they were or knew at that point, Dad just screwed up because they were like. <laughs> and uh, it didn't go well after that. So um, I said the wrong words in the wrong way, and I got the wrong result. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. And I say that because this morning we're gonna we're in the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, this letter that Paul has written to people just like you and me. He, he started this church in Thessalonica, which today is the second largest city in Greece. And he started this church with a bunch of young Christians, um, young, uh, some of them were Jewish converts, others were, were Gentiles, Greeks that had converted to Christianity. And he started this church and then he got chased out of it. He was persecuted out of it. And this was kind of Paul's modus operandi. He... he he would, he would come, he would proclaim, uh, and then he kept moving as he started churches. But he, he, he didn't keep moving casually. He, he kept moving on the run because people were trying to persecute him. And so he's writing this letter back to the church in, in Thessalonica because, in particular, the overarching concern is they feel like they've missed Jesus' second coming. False teachers had come in to the church. Once Paul left, those who rejected the gospel came in and they started to impugn Paul's character. And the message itself. And, and, and Timothy got word back to Paul. And Paul's like, man, not that church. I love those people. And so he writes this letter back, and, and actually two letters that we're, we're reading and going through. And, and that's, that's where we are today. And what we're going to see today is that Paul reminds them, I used the right words. I spoke in the right way. And I got the right result. And, and he wrote it not just for them but for us. And so that's kind of the background to how we're going to jump into First um, Thessalonians chapter two. We're just going to do a little math today, my friends. Simple math, and the simple math is if we say the right words in the right way, chances are we're going to get the right result. And let's see how Paul did it. So if you're got your Bibles open or your Bible app open to Second uh, Thessalon or excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter two, I'm going to begin in verse one. If you'll follow along with me. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and we were treated outrageously in Philippi, they had the air conditioning up so high we were freezing. As you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please men, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as nursing "'Mother nurtures her own children. "'We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you "'not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, "'because you had become dear to us. "'For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers, "'working night and day, so that we would not burden any of you, "'we preached God's gospel to you. "'You are witnesses, and so is God, "'of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly "'we conducted ourselves with, your, with you believers.' As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is why we constantly thank God because when you received the message about God that you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as human message, but as it truly is, the message of God, which also works effectively in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of God's church in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, Since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are always completing the number of their sins and wrath has overtaken them at last. So what Paul is doing is doing two things. He's defending himself. Because again, you've got the false teachers, you've got people who are rejecting Paul's message, and they're calling him and his character into question. And you know that the message and the messenger are connected, right? I mean, you you look at a message and you evaluate the merit of the message to some degree by who's delivering the message and what kind of character, what kind of reputation that they have. So Paul's defending himself. But the second thing he's doing is he's modeling for them what it looks like to say the right words the right way to get the right results. And, and he, he constantly throughout his letters, he is saying, imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. We saw that last week in chapter 1 in verse 7 or verse 6, he says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, he says this. He says, for you yourselves know how you must imitate us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul was often saying, imitate me. And he was doing that to help them, not to puff himself up. Paul did not think much of himself, but he thought a lot of Jesus. And he knew that if, as, as he lived his life, that it would be helpful if others would follow after him. Now, what we have to remember is that Paul was not some super apostle, some Someone who had an extra gear that God had given him that he doesn't give the rest of his followers. Paul was just like you and me. He was a spirit-filled, empowered uh, presence of God, was in him through the Holy Spirit. He just leveraged it more than we probably do. And so we can't discount and dismiss what Paul's going through as, as if that was for him and his gear because God gave him more than he gave us. No. No, when Paul says imitate us, and this is very humbling, especially when you read today, When Paul says, imitate me, it's a hard road, my friend. And we can't rationalize that away. And so Paul, for two reasons, defending himself, and secondly is for imitating, asking them to imitate him, but not just them, it's us. You see, God has preserved and protected and and kept the Scriptures together so that we here in Graham, Washington, are reading a letter that Paul wrote almost 2,000 years ago. That God said, this is important. Now, we say Paul doesn't have a, an extra gear. He doesn't. But now God uniquely through him wrote many of the new, much of the New Testament. And so we're to read this because it was written for us, not just for the Thessalonians. And that's how I want us to go through the rest of this. I hope that's how you heard it as I read it, was that it wasn't just something for someone way back in the day, that it's actually for you and for me. And we're going to start with our simple math equation. And the first thing that Paul says is it's about the right words. The right words are important. I don't know if you heard in the first nine verses, the word gospel came up four times. Speak the gospel of God. And then after that, he refers to it as the message about God. And so the right words that I'm speaking of today, that Paul is speaking, that Paul wants us to model to speak, is the gospel. And the gospel is a fancy word for good news. And I'm going to start on the back end first. Good news. The news part. The gospel involves news. The gospel isn't us telling people how to live their lives. We're not the moral police. It's about an event. Something happened that was unique. And that something is a someone and it's Jesus Christ. And what makes him unique is not that he loved people, not that he taught profoundly, Not that he traveled as an itinerant speaker. Not that he was compassionate and showed mercy to people. That's not what made him unique. What made him unique was that he lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death. That when he was hanging on the cross, he says, why have you forsaken me, Father? At the same time and out of the same mouth came, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As people hurled, hurled insults at him and said, hey, if you're the Savior, why don't you get off the cross? And then he was resurrected three days later. So he lives the perfect life you and I couldn't live in our place. And then he goes and he dies a substitutionary death. So the the judgment for our sins, he absorbed it, not you and me. And then he was raised three days later for God to say, this is the guy. Follow him. Put your faith and trust in him. And you will be saved. And that was the message. That's, that's the event, and the reason the event, the news is so good, is because we're so broken that we need a Savior. And Jesus did all of that so that we could be right with God. And, and we, when we put our faith and trust in Him, our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. That's what makes the gospel, the right words that Paul was speaking, that's what makes them so wonderful and so good. You recall we, uh, in the fall, as a church, we went through, uh, in our small groups, a church-wide study of the gospel. I mean, if I were to ask you, prior to when we did that, and maybe even now, how would you, if you, weren't, if you needed to say the right words to someone, the gospel, how would you say that? What would you say? And I'm going to give you a quick review of what we, as we went through that small little book that, was, that packed a big punch. The first thing we understood about the gospel is that we are accountable to a God who created us. God has fashioned us. He has made us in his image. We come from him. Now, I realize that's a faith statement. I wasn't there when he pulled it all together. And any of you who, who kind of are on the other side of it saying, no, I, I don't believe in a divine designer, or divine creator. I, I believe that it came through a process, maybe an evolutionary process. Uh, that, that's, th- th- there was no, no one behind that process. Well, realize that both of us are making faith statements there. Because you cannot prove that, just like I can't prove a divine creator. And so both of them are faith statements. And then it comes down to whose faith or or the object of whose faith is stronger. I, I believe that creation explains, as God has given us, that he made you and he made me. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139 tells us. And for that reason, because he made us, we are accountable to him. The second part of understanding the gospel and the good news is that we've sinned against him. We have chosen to kind of go our own way. I, I did that for till I was a sophomore in college, a freshman in college, in which I finally like, took the hand off the steering wheel and said, I'm about to drive off the cliff. Some of you have done that, others of you haven't. You're still trying to be Captain King and CEO in your life. You're still trying to be uh, with the steering wheel and, and God's riding shotgun, maybe. And the fact is that we've sinned against him in doing that. And we're accountable to God for that. And we, we can't satisfy the debt. We can't pay that debt off. And so God, number three, step number three, or understand number three, is that God makes a way through Jesus for that to happen. And Jesus comes, and he does everything I said he did just a moment ago. And then the fourth and most important part of the gospel Is it calls for a response, my friends? This isn't merely just intellectually ascending to to accept statements and beliefs, but we have to respond and live our lives in light of it. And what that means is we confess to God our sins and our brokenness and that we've, we've been trying to run our lives. And we turn from our sin and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, and that is the right, words to say and we have been given it and I realize this is going to be the part where you're going to go man I came here on this Sunday to hear this I mean talking about the fact that the right words that we need to share we have been sent out on a mission to share God has sent us out share these right words the gospel to the people in your lives do that you're like oh not again I hear this too much here I don't want it. That's for the super spiritual people. And I realize some of you are just going to now, you're going to check out, you're going to kind of maybe try to fall asleep, although it's too cold, which I'm thankful for that at this point. (laughs) And you're just like, oh, golly. But my friends, this is for all of us. And you're thinking to yourself, man, I've, I've got challenges in my life, I've got struggles, and, and I've been praying, and I, and I came here to hopefully hear a message, something that would help me with my problems, and you're going to tell me that I need, I'm just, I need to use right words and talk to people, how is that going to help me? Have you ever thought that part of the problems in your life are because you're not focused on the kingdom, but you're focused on yourself? Have you ever thought that part of the problems in your life are because you're walking right past this very important command that God has given us, this very important mission that he's asking you to step off the cruise ship and get onto the battleship and to share these important words to the people around you. And the fact that you really think that as important as that is and how you might be ignoring that and you're praying, God, help me with this, help me with that, give me wisdom for this, give me wisdom for that, do you think he's just going to push that off to the side as if it's not important, as if your prayer is more important than that? Or my prayer is more important. He's not going to do that. He's too loving to let us think that's the way he goes. Or to let us think that we can get away with that. We cannot. And so I realize this morning, you're you're like going, okay. I I pray that you would re-engage in this. Because Paul is writing this letter under an assumption. And the assumption is that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, when he sent us out to go and make disciples... Which means say the right words that you're engaged in that and I'm engaged in that. And if you're not engaged in that, if and I'm not engaged in that, my friends, the rest of your life is not going to make sense. So Paul reminded them that he shares the right words. There are, there's, there's the right, and, and it's the gospel. Now, he spends most of his time talking about what is the right way to say them. Let's take a look at that. Let's, let's unpack that in, in chapter 2. Verse number 2. He says, on the contrary, after we had previously suffered and we were treated outrageously in Philippi. Philippi is just north of, of uh, Thessalonica in Greece, uh, where he started church there as well. He says, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel. The right way to speak the gospel firstly, first is boldly. We're to boldly proclaim. Why? Because the gospel's important. It is the most important news that could ever be shared. I mean, it would be wonderful if we had a cure and a resolution for homelessness. It'd be wonderful. It'd be amazing and wonderful if we were able to eradicate all mental illness. Imagine truly if the cure for cancer were found. What a celebration we would all have because we've all been affected by that in some way, or we all will be affected by that in some way. But my friends, the gospel blows all of that great news away. You see, all that other great news, maybe that helps you for 30, 40, 50 years, but the gospel sets and secures your eternity. That's a long time. And for that reason, it is incredibly important, and we're to speak boldly about it. We're not to sheepishly, shyly, cowardly. We're to be bold about it. And here's what's kind of, again, this is hard for us in our culture. But do you notice that Paul says, where does this this boldness come from? He says, we're emboldened by our God. But then he connects that. Do you see what he connects it with? He connects it with the suffering and the persecution that he had faced in Philippi. And then he actually faced in Thessalonica as well. So what he's saying is that God, who gave him the boldness to speak what He's saying them, the right words, He uses suffering to bring the boldness. You would think it'd be just the opposite. You think that when, when the suffering happened, the persecution happened, you begin to speak a little more faintly. You begin to kind of get out of the public eye a little bit more often. But Paul says, no, we were emboldened to even go harder. Why is that? Because suffering galvanizes you to whatever you're suffering for. I mean, it's kind of like the two guys in the the, um, foxhole, right, In, in the war. They don't know each other from Adam. But, man, when bullets are flying over top, they become the best of buds. They're like, man, they're connected. Why? Because suffering galvanizes. It connects you. And I just wonder. I wonder if your Christian message and my Christian message, I wonder if our right words are muted. Are they muted because they don't really come out of a sense of suffering where we really have galvanized and connected ourselves to this incredible gift that's called the gospel? Now, I'm not saying we go look for it. Please don't hear me say that. But I'll take you back to what I, a verse I shared with you last week, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that I said kind of circulate. They kind of come back around in my life periodically. It's Paul... Um, And he's talking to Timothy, and he's saying like a good Christian soldier, he says, do not get entangled in civilian affairs. So the civilian life, the breaks are good, but don't get entangled in them. And and I I just wonder if we're so entangled in our civilian life, if we're so focused on this world and what's going on in this world that we have lost sight, we've lost focus, we've lost a motivation and a desire to get off the cruise ship. And to get on the battleship. And we didn't, we didn't do any of that. We, we worked hard to support our own selves because we know that saying the right words comes when we say them selflessly. They worked to support themselves. They didn't want anything to get in the way or to compromise their message I, I, for me, this is one of the, the things when I went from being a CPA out of the marketplace and into the, the pastorate, um, I missed this part. Because like Paul, he, he didn't want to be seen as, in the message that he was sharing, he didn't want to be seen as the hired gun. In other words, this is what you're supposed to say because we're supporting you to say it. And, and I remember, I, I, have, I would say that I probably have, I had as many conversations about Jesus before I was a pastor than since I've been a pastor. And, and they're entirely two different experiences. When I would walk into a buddy's office and I would sit down and I would start a conversation, I'm just one. That, I'm, I'm like him. It's just one of the guys, getting to talk to him. But now when I have that conversation, I'm the hired gun. I'm supposed to say that. And I, I, I take great lengths to try to get through that and try to say, I, I've said this so many times, it's just like wrote in my mind. I go, I would tell you this even if I wasn't a pastor. That's how important this stuff is. And so, we need to think, what, how do we live our lives in a way that doesn't get in the way of the right words? What might we need to uh, sacrifice? How, how might we selflessly need to live so that the people that are watching us say, you know what? He or she must really believe that because it's costing them something. Thirdly... You notice he made a reference to some familiar relationships. He talked about how, he says, we're treating you gently, right? He says, like a mother would nurture a a nurse, a child, or like a father would nurture a a son. He says, we're treating you gently. In other words, we're not coming at you with the Bible going, turn or burn, whap, whap, whap. You've been there. I've been there. He goes, we don't come with a judgmental spirit. You realize that this this is God's sense of humor in all this. Do you know who Paul used to be? Paul used to be Saul. Do you know what Saul did as a as a vocation? He chased Christians down and he killed them and he persecuted them. And now here God flips him around on the road to Damascus. And he speaks to Saul, he says, "What are you doing?" And Saul is transformed. And Paul goes out, and he is arguably the greatest New Testament individual outside of Christ, bar none. And here he has him gently coming to them, vulnerably, humbly sharing the right words. Now, there's time for cold calls. There are times when you just, you don't have time. I mean, there's times when I have been sitting on an airplane, honestly, sitting on airplane. I'm tired, and God is saying, I want you to start a spiritual conversation with him. And I said to God, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Sometimes I haven't, and I regretted it immensely. And other times I did, and I had an amazing conversation. And then other times I did, and they looked at me like, I need another drink. <laughs> so I don't have to, you know, so the. The time i got to sit with this guy is hopefully goes by a little quicker. But Paul is talking about the relationship. He said, we not only shared the message of God with you, he says, we shared our lives. Relationally, we engaged. So that when we began to talk to you, it wasn't as a stranger, it was as a, a friend. It was as someone who was gently and had gently cared for you. And, and relationships, it takes time, it takes an intentionality. And that's what Paul was doing. That's what it requires to say the right words the right way. I'm just going to ask you, who in your life, who right now in your rhythm of life, who do you know that you're in a relationship with or you see with some regularity that isn't a follower of Christ and is trying to make sense of life and trying to find happiness in life through all the ways they're never going to find it? Who is that in your life? If you don't know, then get out of the circle of relationships that you're in. It's so easy for us to want to cloister and and, and hang out with Christian friends. We become this holy huddle. And you know when you huddle, do you know what part of your body people see when you huddle? (laughs) This part right here. I mean, that's what we do. You've got to break out. I have to break out. As long as your heart is beating and your lungs are breathing, God is saying you are on a mission. And there are times for civilian breaks. There's times for civilian ports of call. But, my friends, you have been saved to be on a mission, and I've been saved to be on a mission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And that requires the right words said in the right way with a gentleness and as ideally as possible in relationship with the people you care about lastly verse 12 in the right way he says we encouraged comforted and implored each one of you Paul pleaded earlier I said that he was bold because the message is that important. But now he pleads because the person is that important. Please understand that when you share the right words and I share the right words, at some point, if you really if you care about them and you love them, and I promise you, I can feel as big a burden for the person sitting next to me on the airplane that I know that if they were to die the moment they got off the airplane, what their eternity would look like, that scares me. And I can feel a burden for them in the same way that someone, some of you in this, in this room, who I love dearly, and, and, and you've not crossed the line of faith yet. I plead with you to do that. It's, it's, the message is that important, but you're that important. And this is where you come to the point in this person you care about and, and you just simply, you kind of like, okay, I, I've, I've done the relational things. I, I've invited them to things. We've, we've kind of had a few conversations here and there. Uh, I've invited them to church. But at some point you kind of, and you simply, you've got to say something to this effect. Ross, I care a great deal about you. I, I'm so thankful for our relationship. And I want the very best for you and for me with everything I know and the strongest convictions I have the best thing you could ever have is a right relationship with God can we please talk about that can I share with you good news about how that's possible and then you got to let them decide And, and you're going to get different responses but at some point we plead for them to respond and that is how we say the right words the right way And God will use the strength of our belief and our lives in a way as we live them out publicly that strengthens the message. Now realize that sometimes you're going to say the right things the right way and people will reject you because we don't have control over that. But that's just the possibility. That's just what happens. But what I don't want to happen is someone to think to themselves, who am I to say these words? You see, Satan wants you to think that you don't have it within you, that you're not the right person because you're not perfect. He'll use perfection to keep you from saying the right words the right way. Don't let him do that. No one is perfect. You're simply sharing with somebody else who's imperfect like you how you have found the greatest love of all in Christ Jesus. So Paul, modeling for them the right words, spoken in the right way, and he makes reference to the fact That in this case, he celebrates that there were the right results. He says in verse 1 of chapter 2, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our visit with you was not without result. In other places, he says, you received the gospel. You welcomed it. So what happens is when you say the right words in the right way, you're increasing the chances for there to be the right results. That people will receive this incredible message, and what does it? What does it? it means that the, that they'll receive that what you're saying is authoritative in their lives. They'll they receive it that it's 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 transformative. They've seen it happen in their lives. They'll receive that, and we rejoice and we celebrate in that. That's what baptism is all about. That's so why we're excited to be have a baptism here in just a moment. But the way one receives what Paul is giving out in the way of right words and the way that we would give out right words in the right way, it means that you humbly accept and acknowledge that you need a Savior and you simply confess that. That's what that means is to receive it. It doesn't mean you're just merely gaining knowledge. It means you're truly transformed by it. Now you're going to live your life in light of it. And you will see, as Paul mentions, you will see the results in your life. There will be changes in your life, and there are changes that last. And you, as you share this message with somebody, if you really want to know, you'll see the changes in them. You'll see them, as Paul says, to walk worthy of God in verse 12. To walk worthy of God. What he's saying is you're not walking to salvation. In other words, you don't have to live this worthy life. And then God says, okay, you're in the club. You're walking worthy from salvation. You've received it. It was a gift. You couldn't earn it. And out of that now comes this life that you want to honor the one who did that. There's a big difference there. One's religion, and one is all about a relationship with Jesus. And the last thing I'll point out to you, we don't like this, but Paul expresses the validation in the walk that they have as a worthy walk. Verse 14, for you brothers became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea since you have also suffered the same things. I don't really like that. And I don't think you do either. But we cannot escape the fact that there is validation through suffering as it relates to our faith. Again, our message is muted because it doesn't come... It doesn't look different. I mean, in many ways, Christians seem to be like, they're trying to be like everybody else, but we got a little bit of Jesus in our pocket to get us out of the tough times. But that's not what Jesus said. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. I mean, he, he made it very clear. There will be suffering. When you share this, people will reject. Remember I said last week, the gospel is offensive to people because it challenges their pride. I'm not that bad that someone has to die for me. And it challenges their autonomy, their perceived autonomy, their, 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 their desire for, for stuff that they want. No, no, you, you give that up because you follow King Jesus. But it's worth it. It's m- more valuable than anything you could possibly comprehend. And yet, Paul references two different times the importance of suffering in that. So I hope you see the right words spoken the right way. Give us the best chance for the right results. May I challenge you this week. Would you please, first this week, would you work on a three-minute explanation or three- to five-minute explanation of the gospel? I, kinda ha- I got you started, but just think about what have I got to do? How can I explain this in a rather quick way, the gospel? Not God loves you, God has a plan and purpose for your life. Those are wonderful things. The gospel is, is, is that, but much more than that. Secondly, would you work on the weakest part of the right way? The things that I went through, where, where, where do you struggle in that? Is, is it the selflessness? Is it the boldness? Just, just where, pleading. What, what is it? Say, I'm going to work on that. And then lastly, would you identify someone that you can say the right words in the right way in hopes that you'll see the right results, my friends? Because, you know, the coolest thing about these empty seats is it gives us a visual. We got to fill them and we can fill them as we just simply do our part and let God do the rest. It's why we, at, here, we, we try to give you opportunities, different ways to engage and, and, and through relationships uh, as you invite people to different things, whether it's, it's children or students or we're having that, that, uh, that evening of mystery on March 2nd up here. It's going to be awesome. And it's something you can invite people who are far away from God. You can invite them, and I hope and pray that you do. But let's, let's, let's get to being the church. We're on a battleship. There's times for the civilian life and there's times to kind of enjoy the cruise life, but man, our hearts beat and our lungs breathe because we are on a mission. Father, thank you so much for your love for us and the mission you've given us. I pray your blessing over this time of teaching and as we continue to worship, that it will just solidify, Lord God, who we are and whose we are. And I pray this in Jesus' name.